This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. And to want to give a special thank you to Theodore LaBarbera, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 535 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm David Barr Kirtley, author of the book Save Me Please and Other Stories, which is available now on Amazon.com. We had a great conversation about the book back in episode 500, so definitely check that out if you missed it. And today's guests are James Wynn and Craig Brewer, hosts of the Rereading Wolf podcast. Gene Wolfe was one of the science fiction field's most accomplished literary craftsmen, and his four-volume epic The Book of the New Sun is regarded as a classic of the genre. But Wolfe's books are often challenging and confusing, which has spawned a whole cottage industry of articles, books, and podcasts attempting to explain his work's many mysteries. On the Rereading Wolf podcast, James and Craig make their way slowly and carefully through the Book of the New Sun, spending an hour or two discussing each chapter. They also interview some of Wolf's most prominent fans and critics, and devote a great deal of time to listener feedback in order to provide a wide range of viewpoints on Wolf's work. And now here's our interview with James Wynn and Craig Brewer. All right, so we're here with James Wynn and Craig Brewer. Welcome to the show. Hey. Thank you for having us. Definitely. <laughs> okay, so let's start off with James and have you tell us about how you first discovered Gene Wolfe. Uh, how I first discovered? Well, I uh, had a friend who gave me four books, at the you know, the Book of the New Sun at, in paperback. And he said that a friend of his had recommended the book. It says it just said that, that his friend has said, I made like three or four attempts. And then finally, I just pushed through. And then he uh, he recommended it to to my friend, and my friend read it and said, "I think just think they're very weird," and uh, I'm wondering what you thought. So I read it, and I really did just push through. My my wife says, "So well, you've sure have been reading those books a long time?" And I said, "Well, uh, yeah." She says, "Well, is it good?" Says, I'm I'm not sure, <laughs> but it's, it's, well, why are you reading? It says, "Well, I have to find how it ends." So. I, I did push through, and then I discovered that there wasn't really an ending, and so that was disturbing. And I told my friend that I think this wolf guy is a so-so writer, but he's an amazing creator of worlds. And it really wasn't until I read Fifth Head of Cerberus that I got the Book of the New Sun. And then I said, oh, now I understand. Now, now I, he's, he's the greatest science fiction writer that ever lived. So that was, mm-hmm. And that's literally what I told people after that. That's interesting because, you know, I was at a, I was at the Odyssey writing workshop in 2001 and the fifth head of Cerberus was used as a, as an example of good writing as of good mm-hmm. prose style. So I read that just the, um, the, that initial novella and I was really blown away by the writing. So then I went and read or tried to read book of the new sun and I really loved it up until the part where Severian is exiled from the guild. Like everything up till there, uh, I, I was just loving. And then after that, I was like, man, this is so weird. It feels kind of <laughs> random and like like somebody describing a weird dream they had and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I um, I really lost momentum around the time of the um, the play. The um, That can happen. Uh, <laughs> eschatology in Genesis, is that what it's called? Right. In, mm-hmm. um, in, in the second book, Claude the Conciliator. And then I don't think I quite made it to the end of Claude the Conciliator. I sort of gave up. You and, have to push through. But that's yeah. the only answer and the first time. That's a common story for Book of the New Sun. I mean, I think I was the opposite because I think up to that point he gets kicked out. I was There was a part of me that was like, eh, 
Harry Potter for torturers, you know, <laughs> like I was like, <laughs> eh, whatever. Okay, cute. But I mean, and, and parts of it were pretty interesting, but, but then once it got out there and it really got strange and challenging, that's when I got hooked because then I was like, okay, there's so much going on here. That's not on the surface. And yeah, if you're, I mean, Wolf breaks every rule that any kind of writing or workshop is going to tell you, like, you know, be clear, <laughs> make sure that your readers know exactly what's going on. And, you know, it's, he has none of that. He's like, no, that's, that's not the point. I'm going to give you a re- weird world shown from the perspective of someone who's in the midst of it. And the fun is trying to piece together so much of what's alien in this world or what's being hidden or what's being occluded or what that the character is, is not wanting to admit or something like that. So, yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, that's, that's an incredibly common thing. Cause if you just jump in thinking, Oh, people say this is a good book and you're not prepared for it. It'd be like, you know, it's like reading James Joyce or something when someone says, Oh, Ulysses is important. I guess I should go read that. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, so. Well, well, it's interesting because, you know, so that was the first time I tried to read it. And then I don't know, at some point, maybe a year or two later, I came back and, and gave another try and made it to the end of, of the four books of Book of the New Sun. Mm-hmm. And then I liked it the second time. And then I've read it a couple more times since then. I just like it more and more each time. And nothing has really changed in terms of like, it still seems really weird and like kind of random and like mm-hmm. somebody's describing a weird dream they had or something. But now I love it. So uh, yeah, I just kind of had to get acclimated to it, I guess. Um, yeah. It's a different but, kind of reading, right? Oh, yeah. You, you can't, especially for genre fiction, you can't skim. Uh, you've got to pay attention. You've got to slow down. And I don't know of another book that I can think of that is designed to be read critically only. It's, it's like, a, it's, it, it's, it's not a book. It's not a, a book about the future. It's a book from the future. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to read it the way you might read, uh, you know, a, a, an ancient document, right? Where you say, well, okay, so that's what he says, but is that, you know, is, is he biased? Is he, uh, is he leaving something out? Is there some context that I'm missing? That's yeah, really, st- oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Wolf, Wolf really does write in a way that, is intended to sort of test your patience for confusion and <laughs> mystery. I mean, it, 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 it very, very, very intentionally is done to do so. And so if you're someone who's like, okay, I want it to be mystery ish for a while, but I want to be able to figure it out pretty quickly. You are going to remain frustrated because so much of the way, I, I mean, personally, I think what happened is he wrote fifth head in that kind of style. And that's when he blew up and got popular. And then he just went all in on that from there on, on out. And he just still happened to be good at uh, writing in those very occluded dreamlike ways where he probably had some sense of how it all would unfold in the end. But he's so much about writing from within one character's perspective or one viewpoint's perspective and not breaking out of that to real quickly say, oh, by the way, here's how to decode all this stuff that's going on. It's more like if you if you stick with it for long enough, then you might find out that, oh, there's this surface story that's there, but there's a whole second underneath story that's going on, which is totally different from the surface story. And it's it's really constructed in a way that you're not going to get to that understory real quickly. Yeah, that that's striking to me though that James's initial impression was that the pro is you're saying that you thought the prose was sort of so so. I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was weak. Look, look at these. Look at scenes like uh, the end of Claw the Conciliator, where uh, you know there's this big kind of craziness. They're they're resurrecting this guy from the from the ancient past, and then suddenly there it's. It's nothing. You don't. It's, it's not like oh, there was an explosion. No, no. He just ends it there, and next thing you know, he's laying there in the rain, and uh, and Dorcas is calling to him. Or the scene with the the, the El Zabo, where I had to go back and say, "Wait a minute, the El Zabo's dead." Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to go back the entire you know three paragraphs to say, "Oh, that's where it happened." Okay, because it just happens so quick, and it's my reading of that was, oh, well, this is, you know, he's not a very careful writer. Um, normally you would, you know, clarify that maybe to, you know, make sure the reader is on board with you. And he doesn't, he doesn't do that. In fact, he, well, he deliberately, um, messes with that convention. 
Well, he's certainly, I mean, he's certainly a writer who does not, at least in this book, explain things in a clear, logical, straightforward way. But it just, <laughs> but he's a beautiful writer. I mean, it seems to me that that the the beauty of the writing would stand out to you, even if you are frustrated by the lack of uh, clear explanations or yeah, yeah logic. We, you would hope so. Yeah, and with with both Fifth Head and with Book of the New Sun, he was very intentionally trying to do a kind of. Um, Proust in sci-fi thing where you it's it's written in that sort of very florid uh, way of writing things and then sort of you know having an action scene but then breaking it off halfway through to have some seemingly unrelated philosophical reflection <laughs> you know that that seems like what well, this has nothing to do with the chapter until you think about it for a long time and you go back and Proust kind of does things like that all the time where you know he'll have some memory of some character who he's never mentioned before and start talking about some in party that he went to, but then it just stops. And all of a sudden he's, re- he's thinking about something else that happened and remembering that. And later on, you can kind of piece together what the thematic connections were there. So, and Will said all the time that whenever he was stuck uh, for writing, he would go to the library or go to his bookshelf and be like, okay, how can I just take some sort of, you know, quote unquote, great literature thing and do a genre version of it. And I think in some ways that's what fifth head was and that worked and, and, new son is very much doubling down on that but it's also a choice like the kind of prose that he had there which is very flowery and very self-conscious and very doing that is absolutely not at all what then happens with um books book of the long sun the the quote-unquote sequel to book of the new sun where it's entirely written in a different style um and then you know so he's very self-conscious about the styles that he's writing in and and the kinds of things that he's doing are are very much choices. For, <laughs> well, for what, what you just said there, Craig, it reminds me of something I heard in, in your podcast. I thought it was just a, a, such a perfect description of Book of the New Sun. But you said it, it alternates between basically like gonzo action adventure, impenetrable philosophical ruminations, mm-hmm. and characters doing things that make you uncomfortable. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I thought that was very a really true. good way of a, a really good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Um, all right, but let's talk about the the Earth email list. So for people who don't know anything about this, just explain, uh, James, what is the the Earth email list? Well, once upon a time, kids, (laughs) (laughs) you didn't have, you didn't have the, you didn't have Reddit and you didn't have Twitter and you didn't have Facebook and you didn't have podcasts, but what you did have was email. And what you would do is there was a a website that you would send an email to this, what was called a listserv. And it, that those emails would get posted on the, on a web page, but you would also get you know whenever somebody else posted on the web page that you would get an email yourself, and so this is how we all discussed the uh, you know Gene Wolfe, and there was there had been one actually before that uh, called the Genie List, which I never saw, but I've only heard I've only heard by reputation and no records of it. Up, it seemed to exist. Yeah, and that's so a that's version of lost. to go back even further in history. That's a version of Usenet <laughs> that was or exactly a, a Usenet-like thing, which yeah, which is one step ahead of bulletin boards. So yeah, we're talking about <laughs> truly internet ancient history. Exactly. So the, yeah, and this was how you would talk about Gene Wolfe because there's something about a Gene Wolfe story that you're just not really. Uh, satisfied until you can talk to someone about yeah, it. Yeah, and the the on the Earth list, what people would do is just really parse the books, like try and get through and be like, well, this part makes me think of this part, and I have a theory that this confusing thing that nobody understands, maybe it's this. And um, it became a really active listserv, and that's actually where James and I met for the first time, you know, some 17 20 or years ago. years yeah. ago, 20 years ago. Um, but there were a lot of people on their sort of hardcore cadre of people who were really digging through the books and posting essays and sharing things. And that lasted for a while, but the real reason why James and I decided to do our podcast was because we had both been pretty active in the earth list and just had a lot of fun having that community of people who were writing and and reading and, and talking and whatnot. And um, there is still that, you know, there's a, there's an active Reddit subreddit. There's a, an active Facebook group and um, a couple other podcasts. We're actually the third podcast just to focus on Gene Wolf himself. Um, but we wanted 
to find uh, another place that would really emphasize that sort of community where people could, you know, long-term develop theories of their own and get feedback on them and whatnot. And so since we were kind of, you know, old guys who did that, I decided one time I wanted to reread New Sun and James suggested we just record it for the heck of it. And then we're like, well, why don't we just do a podcast? (laughs) And turns out enough people wanted to read along with us that, yeah, now we've, we've got a whole good group of people who are doing the same kind of thing, like, you know, developing their own theories and sort of sharing pieces of that each week. And that's one thing we intentionally do in the show is the first third ish of it every time as we try to, to mention people who have written detailed comments and then we'll talk about them or we'll, we'll talk about how other people are talking to each other on either our Facebook or Reddit group or things like that. But it's, it's just fun. It's just tons of fun to, to have such a, a writer who really does repay spending that much time on them, but to have other people who appreciate it too. And that's really the point of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. But so James, so talk about on the, on the earth list. So what happens when people, cause I read a bunch of these books, but people started writing whole books about book of the new sun, yeah. right? You have like Peter Wright, Robert Borsky, Michael Andre Triussi. You've had, you've interviewed some of these people does, on your podcast, yeah, yeah, and Joan Gordon, kind of what, what was the reaction among Gene Wolfe fans when these sorts of, um, books started coming out? Well, obviously there was a hunger for it. Uh, I guess Joan Gordon wrote the first book and it was, she has a little biography of, of Gene Wolfe. She has an interview with Gene Wolfe and, but she also, and I think this is really kind of set the tone for future scholarship. She just basically went through the stories that he had published up to that time and kind of give a summary, give a commentary, give an understanding of them. And yeah, I think Every every Gene Wolfe enthusiast has a book like that, you know, in their heart that they that they imagine that one day they're going to write. I, I know I, I certainly do. So uh, that and that's he, he inspires that kind of enthusiasm. I mean, because my kind of my response reading a lot of the stuff was like, I don't know if this person's crazy or I'm crazy. <laughs> this kind of seems like a conspiracy theory, but maybe it's like, could anyone have possibly intentionally put so much stuff into one book? Uh, like, David, I feel seen. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, some are. I mean, and like certain people who have written stuff have reputations of definitely going far down holes that aren't really textually based anymore. And we see that a lot. I mean, there's lots of stuff on the earth list where someone was like, oh yeah, he mentions this God in from mythology. And if you know, in the fourth century BC, there was this one statue that mentions the God doing this one thing. So obviously he's talking about that. You know, there's, there's that kind of sort of crazy stuff, but there are also things like what Michael Andre Giussi did, which was just go through and try and give vocabulary terms and just point out all the different times that Wolf would mention a certain character. So, yeah, I mean, just as with any commentary sort of community that comes up, there are definitely going to be people who go way out there <laughs> and and others who are, you know, more tied to the text. But when you have something like Wolf, which can be so confusing, sometimes you often wonder, and part of the hard part is figuring out what counts as a clue or a good explanation is itself a hard question. Yeah, that's the thing about Wolf is that he is highly elusive. So it's very hard to tell where the text ends and where the illusion uh, begins. Uh, there's uh, Obviously, there are references to uh, the life of Christ in the Book of the New Sun. You're supposed to pick up on that. Uh, the Inca god Inti or Apupunchao is a key aspect. And when you take a look at some of the mythology of Apupunchao, you begin to realize, oh, wow, there is some connectivity between this fellow Severian and that, uh, and that god of the sun in uh, Inca mythology. So there is, there is some potentiality in that. You can't just read this story deductively. I, and I, I, that's something that's kind of a little drum that I beat all the time. You have to read it inductively. You are invited to spin a story to connect the dots because, frankly, there are not enough dots for you to just eliminate all of the uh, impossible and only end up with the necessary. 
Well, let me let me explain. So the first time, actually, this reminds me, the first time I ever heard of Book of the New Sun, I think I was at one of my first science fiction conventions. So I was probably, you know, 18, 19. And I don't remember who it was, but I was talking to an older writer and he's and somehow Book of the New Sun came up and he said, well, yeah, so, so the story is what happened is that Gene Wolfe wrote this series and nobody could understand what was going on. <laughs> And so his editor told him he had to write another book to explain everything. And so he wrote another book to explain everything, and still nobody could understand what was going well, on. Well, that's that's and partially that's partially true. He, he what he wanted to do, what David G. Hartwell wanted to do, was add a little coda to the end, saying, "Oh, and then Severian, uh, you know, went and brought the new son and took a test and brought the new son and blah 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 blah." And Wolf, first of all, I now I feel like I understand why he was. He he thought that didn't fit at all, um, but I you know I only have three minutes for time to do short answers. <laughs> but also he said, well you know that's going to take a whole nother book, <laughs> and so he says, okay, well write a whole nother book. And the trouble is that you go into this coda, this ending of the book, this Earth of the New Sun, and you expect all of these th- dangling threads that were never answered to be answered. And some of them, some of them they, they that he did, but not all of them. And secondly, he stirs up a whole bunch of other mysteries in this book as well. So there's, there's even more to peruse over in this uh, explanatory book at the end. Yeah. And we had an interesting conversation with um, the writer, Brian Evanson about Wolf, who has been very influenced about uh, by Wolf and talks about him a lot too. But the interesting conversation there was like how Wolf gets classified generically. And I think what happens when he's called either a, a science fiction writer or a fantasy writer, I think a lot of times the assumption there is, yeah, there's a clear mythology that lies behind these things and a clear answer that if you just connect the dots, you'll get exactly what it is. I've often considered Wolf is actually a weird writer. And when you read weird fiction, you go in and the surreality and the strangeness of it is supposed to be taken at face value. And that's supposed to be something that, yeah, you puzzle through, you think about what the consequences of that are. But with weird writing, you don't get frustrated if the answer doesn't immediately clarify itself. And I think that's one issue sometimes that people have is they're like, well, Wolf, if he's writing science fiction, okay, I need the explanation. I need to know in the end how everything lines up perfectly so that I can go back and map everything in there. And I'm, I'm not positive. It's there like that. You know, it's the answers that you're looking for maybe there thematically, or they may be there on a more metaphoric level at some point. It, it just depends on kind of what expectations you have for the book. The yeah. good thing about Wolf, though, I think, is that nonetheless, there is a surface story that you can read and is pleasurable and fun um, and engaging, even in the midst of all that mystery. Well, how I've just des- how I've described the book to people is I say, you know, it, it kind of you start reading it and it seems like a sword and sorcery story with mm-hmm. swords and, you know, castles and monsters. And then as you read it, you start to realize, oh, no, this is actually a science fiction story with aliens and robots and spaceships. And then you keep reading it and you sort of realize, oh, no, this is actually like a religious story (laughs) with miracles and gods Mm -hmm. and saviors and stuff. And it seems that's pretty uh, unique. That's a pretty – in terms of genre classifications, I don't know – that there's a lot else uh, like that. Yeah. There's a cool essay about uh, this. It's up on another uh, called er, uh, Alton's Library, which is sort of a collection of essays on Wolf, but it's about the Book of the Long Sun, which is supposedly the sequel. But it's about how each of those novels, each of the four novels in Book of the Long Sun is a different kind of genre itself. Like the first novel is a mystery novel. The second novel is a spy thriller. The third novel is... Um, you know, a traditional thriller. And then the fourth novel is travel writing or something like (laughs) that, you know, and, but doing things like that, when you look at Wolf is really sort of taking conventions and then twisting them within some kind of genre framework. He does that a lot. And I think that's, I think that's literally, and he talks about this in interviews, literally how he got started, especially when he would get stuck on an idea, he would literally just do something like that and see where it took him. But I think it's also a great way to look at some of the strange choices he makes and why they're doing, because he's taking some of those conventions and saying, well, what happens if we mix fantasy and spy thriller? Well, let's try that. And and it produced some pretty fun books. Uh-huh. 
Well, so, so James, so, you, so you've mentioned, or you and Craig have mentioned that you've interviewed people, you know, like Brian Evanson, mm-hmm. and I yes. guess I mentioned you interviewed like Michael Andre Triussi and stuff. Do, do, do any of those guests sort of stick out for you? Any like revelations or interesting observations or anything from any of those interviews or people that you were really excited to, to finally talk to or anything like that? Oh, uh, gosh, I really love them all. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wasn't even in the Daryl Schweitzer interview, and I just I I re-listened to that. I re-listened to a lot of things. I re- I listened to the um to the reader interviews that we do. I enjoy really enjoy those. Uh, Ada Palmer is really good. Uh, she ha- she wrote the introduction to the new tour edition of the Book of the New Sun, both both copies, and th- because it's 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 split into two volumes, and um. Yeah, that's kind of like a little uh, a college course on uh, the uh, hmm. an unreliable mm-hmm. narrator. It's I, I really, really, really enjoyed that. I enjoyed uh, the Brian Evanson. I enjoyed uh, we did an interview with Don Mates, uh, who wrote who yeah, drew that was the, great. the yeah. illustrations for the first covers for the Book of the New Sun. Um, that was that was great. Uh, you can tell if you if you follow me like on on Twitter or any, or the the rereading wolf account on Twitter. Uh, I frequently repost it. Oh, you ask about that? Well, you know, we did an interview about that, and he talked about that. So you can tell that I, I do enjoy uh, those uh, all of those interviews. Well, uh, and let me just say too. Let me just say too for the Don Bates interview. Uh, people should definitely check it out on mm-hmm. YouTube because then you can see all the cover. He's, he was the, he did the cover art, and so you can see all all his different covers. Exactly. And it's it's really a really enjoyable um, presentation. Thanks. Yeah, it takes forever to do that. <laughs> <laughs> to make a video to go with your your interview. Yeah, you know, I can imagine. Yeah, um, you mentioned um, the the Gerald Schweitzer interview. That was really interesting to me because that had all sorts of behind the scenes things. Yes. Um, and so he mentioned like that. Um, he said Gene Wolfe books, other than Book of the New Sun, he doesn't don't really sell that well. The Book of mm-hmm. the New Sun was sort of his big, you know, commercial break. And even thing. even I the Book of the New Sun is his kind job. of niche, right? So, what are you going to do? See, I had I had heard that Gene Wolfe was able to quit his job. You know, he edited um, Plant mm-hmm. Engineering, the sort of engineering magazine. I, I heard I heard he made enough from Book of the New Sun that he was able to quit his day job and write full time. Yes, that um, is true. I don't know if you guys. That know. is true. That is true. Yeah. He, although he didn't quit right away, uh, he had a son who was in college, and so he had to, to finish that. But yeah, he did do that. But you can tell that that he did does seem to have felt a lot of pressure to put out a lot of. Uh, of, of books anyway. So he, he wanted to, he had this whole, whole idea of doing a whole series of, of Latro novels. And, you know, David G. Hartwell said, well, you know, I could sell a long sun book better. So he's kind of abandoned that for years. So yeah, I think he did have, I mean, he, he, he could retire, but it, he doesn't seem to have been independently wealthy in that sense. He was still living in a, you know, a oh, house yeah, in yeah. Barrington, outside in a suburb of, <laughs> of Chicago, and it's it's just striking to me this sort of um, you know sort of almost cult status of his writing in in relation to the the praise that he you know like Michael Swanwick says he's the best writer in the English language bar none. I saw a, a description, a, a, a com, uh, like a blurb one time that said, you know, he's rewritten the New Testament with better language <laughs> and a more solid sense of structure or something like that. Like, he just gets these um, just just overwhelming praise yeah. or admiration from other And here's writers. something interesting, yeah. though. The- it's He wrote his magnum opus, The Book of the New Sun. It's, I, I think it's, there's no doubt that's his magnum opus. He wrote that at 51. And then he went, uh, it is not agreed that that was his greatest novel. He went on to write other great novels, uh, Soldier of the Mist, and The Book of the Long Sun, and The Book of the Short Sun, and The Wizard Knight. All of these are regularly named as people's favorite books by him. And of course, he he wrote his last uh, last novel, sent it to the publisher a month before he died. He did not stop. No, and in fact, a lot of the sort of really hardcore Wolf fans, their favorite series is often Book of the Short Sun, which was, I believe, written in his 60s, if I'm right. Yeah, 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 Late almost, 50s? yeah, the very end. Like, so, he, he came out when he was 70, I think, when he finally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's super- definitely had a late start. Um, so if there's, you know, later writers out there or older writers still still hoping for <laughs> for their big breakout time, Wolf's a good. He didn't publish his first story until he was 34. 
and uh, and 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 that was in a, a short, very short little story in a soft porn magazine. So, <laughs> which um, James has hunted down. <laughs> I did hunt him down. No, I actually don't <laughs> have that. I, I would imagine it's a lot like. Um, you know, Gene Wolfe didn't have a copy of that magazine either because Rosemary wouldn't let it in the house. <laughs> and that would probably be the way it is uh, with me as well. well. Well, right. And, you know, he had published a lot of his short stories in Damon Knight's um, mm-hmm. Orbit, this very prestigious anthology series. And I think it was Jack Dan that you interviewed was saying that that the success of Book of the New Sun is sort of this weird confluence of things where you had, you know, Gene Wolfe had this reputation from the Orbit series and then Book of the New Sun was kind of enough like post-Tolkien fantasy to attract some of that crowd. Um, but there was just like all the it, – it could have been completely overlooked so easily. It was sort of this weird confluence of factors that mm-hmm. made it a – Yeah, Orbit led him, yeah. gave him a place to write the way he writes, the way we think of him writing. I, it's hard to imagine what he might have become if if that didn't exist. I guess, I guess, sorry, the other uh, maybe crucial factor was David Hartwell was sort of this unusually literary, um, for, for, an, for a science fiction book editor, had unusually literary mm-hmm. taste and maybe champions Wolf more than a lot of other people would have. Mm-hmm. And I think it's true, too, that a lot of Wolf's success comes from the praise he gets from other writers. And a lot of the reason why he's still read is because writers in particular I mean, for example, like now, Neil Gaiman is probably his biggest champion who is still out there constantly, you know, reminding people, hey, Gene Wolfe is my one of my favorite writers. Please go read him. And it's from that side of things that I think his name often circulates a whole lot more because he is so challenging. I mean, he's certainly not the kind of writer who I think you know, is easy to just sit down and chug through, you know, it's not even, I mean, say game of Thrones is fun in, and it's definitely complicated, but it's not confusing, right. In so much of, of wolf stuff is on the surface, often confusing. And, and it's not the kind of thing that you would expect to necessarily get popular because it reminds people a lot more of high literary kinds of stuff where you're like, huh, I got to really dig to, to figure out what's going on. Um, but since he gets that praise from other writers so much, that keeps him keeps him alive. What it is sort of weird to tell people, you know, like, okay, this is one of my favorite books. You probably have to read it three times before <laughs> you really start to like mm-hmm. it, but it's yeah. worth it, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a yeah, lot well, that's we, a hard sell right there. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard sell for our podcast too, because we assume people are on there at least second reading, yeah, <laughs> preferably third, before you even start. Then we keep waving them off. No, no, you you shouldn't listen. <laughs> so if you're still you haven't read enough. If someone once said, "Oh, I just finished the the last, you know, the, the Citadel of the Autark, so now I can listen to your podcast." I said, "Well, you know, we spoil Earth of the New Sun too." <laughs> so, it's, oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, so so you, yeah, so you mentioned that you have done these uh, reader mm-hmm. interviews. So, like, what's that? What's that been like? like I what, love uh, them. I love them. I love them. If I you? there's one particular, if I got, if I can put someone onto it, uh, Cyan Greening. Uh, who, uh, if I was going to say, okay, give me one hour and I'll teach, I will convince you that a Gene Wolfe story is extraordinary. That's the one I would direct them to. That's it. That is a great, great interview. It goes in places you do not expect. It is an amazing story. It's almost a metaphor for the book of the new sun and the book of the long sun too. Now that I think about it. So could you, could you say that again or maybe spell S I A N greening G R E E N I N G. Okay, cool. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to listen to those reader interviews. Yeah. I, I, but, uh, yeah, I love those. I don't do them. I, I, I gotten behind sorry people i have some in the can that i haven't <laughs> published and uh but i do love them i and uh, like i said i, I listened to them over so I, yeah it goes back to our our desire to make the show be kind of like the old earth list was just to really you know focus a lot of attention on the people who comment a lot what do they like why did they how did they get into them because so many of the folk who really like wolf wolf are just really interesting themselves and it's just a chance to get to know each other yeah and this last year we went to worldcon 
and uh, we kind of set up a little wolf convention in the in the world con and i was very worried about are we going to have enough events are people going to we have things for people to do that are reasons why we'll get together you know other than world how how can we possibly compete with world con and uh the truth is we had about you know a dozen people there who came just for you know our little shadow of the con and they, uh, they we picked up others and no, along and, the and way. And there was always no. someone sitting around, just uh, sitting around talking, talking about Wolf, talking about literature, talking about things that you know are movies that are sort of Wolfian. Um, it was really enjoyable, and that you know I'm trying to capture a little bit of that in the uh, in the reader interviews. Yeah, it's it's just so interesting. I mean, you mentioned that there's currently three podcasts like yours it's called rereading wolf there's one called el zabo soup and one called the gene wolf literary podcast Mm -hmm. that are all going through gene wolf basically chapter by chapter you know like an hour or two per chapter or or, or whatever um do you do you have any thoughts on why there's there's this number of podcasts I, i have trouble thinking of podcasts going into that kind of depth about that many authors, especially more than one, and now there's three <laughs> on Gene Wolfe. Like, how did this? Uh, how did this come about? Because you have to talk about a Gene Wolfe story when it's uh, <laughs> after you've read it. You can't. Yeah, we have a we have a motto for our reason why it's called rereading Wolfe. Is, is there's a a statement by John Clute uh, who said you can't read a Gene Wolfe story. You can only reread a Gene Wolfe story. So. You have to read it, and then you reread it, and then you still want to talk to someone about it. Now, there's a lot of pleasure in talking about any book, but I don't know of anything that just really compels someone to seek out. They feel like they've really missed out on the book because they can't talk to someone about it. People, when they discover that there's a a Reddit page, are really excited because finally there's someone I can talk about a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, it's a rare thing that to find someone that really repays that much attention and that much going through. We talk to people all the time who are like, yeah, I've listened to all the other podcasts. I'm glad you guys started too. Cause it's another one. Now <laughs> I can go in and you know, when we, we still find new different things to say, but um, I will say too, that the other podcasts have, we all kind of have different approaches. Like the Alzabo soup guys were kind of going a non-spoilery hand-holding through your first time rereading New Sun. Now they're on to Book of the Long Sun after. Um, the Gene Wolfe Literary Podcast guys are starting through his whole career chronologically, and they started with his yeah. first <laughs> stories and are up, uh, still in the middle of his novel piece right now. And then we came along and we we're like, no, we're going to pretend like you've listened to all that stuff and read it all a bunch of times, and we're going to be deep in the weeds. Um, and we didn't know if we'd have like 10 people be interested. And so the fact that we've, we've gotten so many people who are still interested now is still kind of mind blowing. Um, but it, it speaks more to Wolf, I think, than necessarily to us, because there's just so much interest and so much that you can dig through with him, um, and keep coming back to and finding. Yeah. There was another, there's a YouTube channel called Media Death Cult, and he did a series where it's just like about a an hour or two per book, mm-hmm. but he interviewed the El Zabo Soup guys. And so he, the host, like read the books a long time ago and doesn't really remember them. So he's basically a first time mm-hmm. reader. And so he sort of like goes through and says, this is kind of what I got out of it. And then they jump in with uh, corrections or additions or whatever. And I thought that format actually worked really well um, to have sort of the the novice and the, and the, you know, say what he thought it, what the story was. And then the experts come in and, um, you know, flesh But you bring out. up the issue of experts. And this is this has really come home to me when we were doing this podcast. Is that there's no consensus about these books. We uh, we there's one little scene uh, in the beginning of Claw the Conciliator where uh, Severian executes a woman, and there is we when we got through you know we said what we thought. We got people uh, you know writing in. We ended up with there's probably at least four groups of theories about what happens in that event, and I changed my mind after the conversation about what's happening. <laughs> so, uh, and, and Michael Andre Adrisi says uh, sent us an email and says, "Well, you guys wanted to create a big Earthless style fight. Now you're there." Good, <laughs> <So, laughs> it's fun. Yeah, James and I don't agree on everything. Right. You know, even after talking about it for 
hours on yeah. end um, and having read all this other stuff and we, we probably never yeah. will, but no, that's part of the fun is understanding why people look at it differently and, and just being aware of all the different ways that the story can. Yeah. Go. So there's no experts. That, that's the thing about it is, is that if you hear someone spoil these books, uh, that's something else that John Clute said. He said, uh, you can't spoil the books because your first read is your second read. And secondly, if you hear somebody spoiling the books, in not in every case, but in most cases, it's just some guy giving his opinion about what's happening. Yeah, the people who are most convinced that they have figured out what's going on are usually the ones I disagree with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, they, and, and they're kind of annoying too, aren't they? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that, that's interesting, James. You mentioned like old style uh Earthlist fights. I, I was because the way you were describing it, it was making it sound much more. Uh, oh no! Uh, friendly and got so personal. Well, it could I get mean, very personal and at, at it, times, but, at times. But it was still in good fun. It's like yeah, I mean yeah, that may well, have been sure, there, but but, then. but personal. <laughs> I mean, people had there's here's what, here, we had this conversation with. Uh, I had this conversation with Craig just very very recently that there's first there is your approach to how to interpret the books. And there's, you know, multiple ways you can do that. And then once you agree on that, there is actually the debate over what is actually happening based on that criteria of interpretation. And so you ha would have in on the Earthless people mixing who had drastically different ways of approaching the interpretation of the book. And they were very, uh, they could be contemptuous of each other and, and snide and snarky. And, um, you know, you're in an email and you don't have, you, you know, you don't have facial expressions. You don't have the kind of visual clues of someone being locally there. So yeah, they, you know, people could be mean. They could be mean. Um, were, were there like identifiable factions? Like you could say it was like the, this kind of people versus the, this kind yeah, of people at and, times. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. Mark Aramini, yeah. uh, who's also a, a wolf scholar, uh, yeah, I think he came away a little kind of scarred from his experience at one point <laughs> because he he had a um, a theory, one which frankly I agreed with, but he took a serious beat down on you know promulgating that theory, and you know, yeah, he was kind of the the young whippersnapper yeah. at the time, and there was a sort of old guard of people who had you know they had satisfied themselves that they had figured right, out certain exactly. things, and Mark came along with some really challenging ideas about some new stuff and some good reasons to think so. And so, yeah, there was a lot of resistance to that. So very similar to kind of, you know, scholarly debates about things. You get people, you get the old tenured people who are sure they know what's <laughs> on going on. And then out comes the new person with a great new idea and the, you know, they don't want to accept that. And, you know, but then now Mark's the old yeah. guard. So, it, you know, it, it, those roles always change. Yeah. I, I was curious actually to ask you about him because I saw, you know, he has books covering i mean he's still working his he's still he's working his way writing through. sort of yeah. a critical survey of all of wolf's fiction mm -hmm. and yeah the first two volumes are out and then the next two are one is done and he's still working on the last bits of the fourth one yeah yeah so so the ones that are out are called beyond light and shadow and beyond time and memory and i've wanted to read beyond light and shadow for for years but it's like a thousand pages long yeah. and i have not <laughs> had time to to do that but do, do you have any like what's your take well, don't on, you don't don't read those books cover to cover. That's not the way you do it. It's a reference, but you yeah. go in, you say, I want to read this. I've read this story. I would like to hear, you know, Mark's take on this particular story. And uh, th that's yeah. the way to enjoy it really. And I, of everybody who's written on the stuff, Mark has done more and probably knows the details of the stories better than anyone else who's written at this point, I think, on Wolf. So he's definitely, definitely, you know, if anybody counts as an expert, Mark would would be the one. Um, now, that doesn't mean that I always agree with all of his interpretations. Oh, not me. I agree but, with him all the time. So, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but but what I was saying was, but at least, you know, Mark kind of separates his things by like, here's some good textual stuff. Here's some, you know, we can track down the illusions. Here's probably what he was referring to in this quote, that kind of thing. And then he has his interpretation separately. So still as a resource, his stuff is amazing, is wonderful. And he really does know the the text really, really, really well. Um, because I mean, literally he's been trying to make his career, his, his academic career off of that. Those are his, his, you know, tenure level publications. So, I mean, he's, 
working uh, super strongly to make sure that stuff is um, as good as it can be. So absolutely yeah. good. Um, well, I'll mention too that there have been two episodes that I saw where he comes on your podcast specifically to argue with uh, with James. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they they have fun going at each yeah. other. Yeah, I mean, the, the truth is, I should mention Mark and I are friends. We are friends, but uh, you know, we have uh, we have real opinions, and we, we're not going to back down to the, from them. And um, yeah, I, I I like I, I like Mark and I became friends on the earth list, mostly because I felt like our approaches were so similar and it always surprised me of how deeply we would often disagree about what was actually going on, even though we were approaching it, I thought very, in a very similar way. I also wanted uh, Craig to give you a chance. Did you do any of the interviews that you guys did stand out to you? Like Michael Swanwick, Jack Dan, Daryl Schweitzer, did any of those? What was it like interviewing those uh, sort of well-known authors? An honestly awesome excuse. I mean, probably the same thing you feel all the time, like just a great excuse to get to talk to people who you've read, you know, forever. Uh, And with Jack Dan and Michael Swanwick, that was so fun because they were able to give us a lot more of the personal side because they had been friends, right? I mean, they had worked alongside them and, you know, gone to conferences forever and worked with editors and as editors for each other. And so, yeah, Swanwick and Jack Dan and Daniel, Daryl Schweitzer were just really fun to get a bit more of a personal uh, approach to what it was like to have the guy there and not just know him through the text, which is of course how, you know, we primarily know him. So yeah, those were, those were super fun. It's funny, Craig, because it seems like a question you have for a lot of people is, what was it like to edit Gene Wolfe? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because so many of the stories can remain inexplicable. Like you just don't know <laughs> how that ending happened or what it meant. And so I often wonder, you know, do the editors, are, do they feel like they're smarter than everybody else? Or do they yeah. I just flat out ask Wolf, okay, I really like the story. Explain it to me first, and then I'll see if I take it. Um, but we found so many people say that, you know, he just had the reputation of being so good that people would trust him and they would take it um, and still talk about it afterwards, maybe. But, um, but yeah, I still wonder, are there times when, you know, Hartwell or, you know, if Gardner Duvois was just like, yeah, hey, Wolf gave us one. Let's publish it. You know, I'm sh- I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. had the unenviable. I was in the unenviable position once of being assigned to review a Gene Wolf uh, <laughs> yeah. short story. And, you know, I was like, I have it turns out it was sort of a um like a, a twist on a obscure Bible story. And, yeah. it, you know, it's like, I, I have no I don't know what to make of this. <laughs> but um, but but yeah, but Jack Dan told you that Gene Wolf did not take kindly to being edited basically yeah, uh, yeah. to begin with. And he had the stature through after new sun, he had the stature to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Most people don't. So, um, and in some ways that may be a good thing that it allowed him to really be more experimental and to try more unusual takes to stories. Um, whereas, you know, if he had been, uh, a more struggling writer, he may have been forced to, you know, no, clarify, 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 you know, get, get to the point so that people can read it. But instead what we got was something that now in genre really does push all kinds of boundaries and you get that weirder stuff. And I think that's, that's a good thing. I don't know if I'm remembering this, right. I feel like I heard one of you speculate maybe that Gene Wolfe or or wonder aloud if Gene Wolfe sort of wrote his stories originally with, more um clarity and more explanation <laughs> Take and something out in the editing process went back and took out anything you know, well yeah stripped Mark, it down to the bare minimum of of what would be comprehensible he left his papers to a school in illinois and actually mark aramini and i have both been uh talking back and forth with the librarians waiting for that material to get cataloged so that they'll open it to the public and because one thing i'm really looking forward to seeing is what his drafts were like, like was we're, when you look at a draft of a story, does it start off much more straightforward? And then it's like, he complicates it over time. Or is it really that strangeness right at the beginning? And then maybe he tries to figure out some way to, to do something afterwards. I just don't know. But that's one thing that I'm hoping getting to a chance to really dive into his papers at some point would, would show us. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, also, Craig, you mentioned uh, George R. R. Martin in Game of Thrones. And I, I think that there are huge similarities or like parallels between Jon Snow in Game of Thrones and Severian in Book of the New Sun. I was just curious what sort of conference. I could go into some of the similarities um, if you want, but I was just curious if that's something that people have talked about a lot on the in the Gene Wolfe fan world. I don't know I that don't I've seen so, people yeah. mention it a lot. No, I'd be curious. I mean, I I think I can immediately see some okay. things. Yeah. Well, this is this is something uh, years ago I posted on my blog. Uh, so, um, Jon Snow belongs to a fraternal order who dress in black, are much diminished from former days, and who follow ancient rituals whose origin and purpose is forgotten. Then Severian, exactly the mm-hmm. same thing. Uh, Jon Snow must travel north to seek adventure beyond a giant wall called the Wall, capital letter. Um, and then Severian, exactly the same thing. Uh, Jon Snow is counseled is counseled by blind Maester Aemon. Uh, Severian is counseled by near blind Master Palamon. Uh, Jon Snow doesn't know who his mother is. Severian doesn't know who his parents are. And then Jon Snow breaks his vows by attempting to desert. The head of this order shows unexpected leniency and gives him a totally badass sword, Longclaw. And then Severian ba- uh, breaks his vows by offering mercy to a prisoner. The head of his order shows unexpected leniency and gives him a totally badass sword, <laughs> Terminus Est. So this seems like pretty, and and I I believe George R. R. Martin and Gene Wolfe were in a writers group together uh, mm-hmm. when Gene Gene Wolfe was. Well, writing he's definitely a fan. Songs, uh, George so. R. R. Martin is definitely a fan. So I, yeah, I and said so Martin wrote a nice times. and his, yeah wrote a nice eulogy for him when he passed on his blog too. Yeah, that convinces me. Yeah, I'm. I it, <laughs> yeah wouldn't surprise me at all if you know Martin was specifically putting those things in there um, because too those are the. Like you said, you know, those are the parts that I think most people read of Shadow of the Torture, which everything while he's still in the guild um, and that are most memorable, I think, for a lot of folks. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm down. <laughs> OK, that's be. cool. Um, So but I'm actually I'm a little surprised people haven't really talked about that. I guess these are very focused on Gene Wolfe, these uh, discussions a lot of them yeah yeah but i but i'll I'll have to go see you know because i i have to admit since we've started the podcast i have less time to (laughs) wander around and see everything so i i have to focus more on the stuff that people send us but i'll look and see because yeah now that you mention all that i'm surprised i am surprised that hasn't come up more often most of the time uh wolf enthusiasts are interested in books that might have gone into Gene Wolfe's uh-huh, writing, yeah. as opposed to uh, you know works that might have been influenced by Gene Wolfe's writings, so that it could be that. Although you do get a lot of talk about the uh, the Annihilation movie, that you know whether mm-hmm. whether it was uh, oh, yeah. heavily inspired by uh, by Gene Wolfe, and uh, yeah, yeah, it has it has to it has to have been the 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 bear the sort of zombie right. bear yeah. that absorbs people's and Vandermeer yeah. is is come right out and said he didn't quite intend it but but who knows what um oh shoot the director Al- alex uh, garland yeah alex garland um who knows what he did in the in that too because that's i know the way that particular part happens is different enough from the book that that there could be some something else going on with alex garland that he added to right it, so but i know people have asked vandermeer and he's he's definitely like i think i read those yeah <laughs> so you know if if it wasn't if it was intentional uh, or if it was an influence it was a subconscious one i think so, yeah yeah i'm pretty confident that alex garland or somebody who worked on the movie i mean alex garland is a really well-read mm-hmm. guy so i yeah. wouldn't be at all surprised if he's read uh, gene wolf but if not him i'm sure somebody AI? who worked on the production i shot him an email to, to try to get i never did get an answer but i did i was curious well, have you, are <laughs> you a gene wolf fan have you read gene wolf and um so yeah maybe you'll have a better chance than i will yeah, you know, I did interview him years ago, but that was before Annihilation. So, but if I ever get another chance to talk to him, I'll definitely ask him that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then another thing I was just kind of curious about is I did have, I think I still have it, but this GURPS New Sun, it's a, a like tabletop mm-hmm. role playing game mm-hmm. for New Sun. I was just curious if you guys ever saw that. Uh, by Michael Andre Driussi, like uh, who did uh, yeah, yeah. Lexicon Earthus. Um, I, I, you know what? I, I had an opportunity to buy that for like twenty dollars, and now and I, you know, I kick myself every day when I when I, say, I wonder when that's going to show up again. So, 
Yeah, yeah, I've never played it. I've read through it, but I've never gotten a chance to play it. So, but it, it's very fun. I mean, there's they obviously had to, or he obviously had to fill in a lot of a lot of gaps. But I mean, Michael Underdush, he's a he's a writer himself, and and but he added the things he added are very much in the spirit of the world. Um, and yeah, it's a fun a fun way to imagine the world that really the GURPS thing spells out a whole lot too. I mean, it really does sort of solidify some of the mystery of the the world that's going on but it has to you know for for a game like that um but i'm i but it still you know gets wolf right as far as the parts that are actually from wolf yeah because it's he was drawing on his own reference work <laughs> so yep i was actually just looking on amazon if you want a print copy of that though they're selling one for like 300 dollars <laughs> yeah. or something um and then the attending Daedalus, the Peter Wright critical survey of that's, Wolf. I don't know if people are actually paying it, but somebody's offering it on Amazon for like twelve hundred dollars or something. That's generally the yeah. price that it goes for. Yeah, yeah. Small run. I'm like, man, I, I, don't know, run of I don't. I don't know what happened work. to my. I had a copy of that attending Daedalus. I don't know if I oh, still I have could, it. I would but. never recover if I lost that. I had that. <laughs> But speaking of, there is a French writer who's doing a much bigger role playing game. Um, all set in the new sun world. Um, then I know he posts lots of stuff about it on Facebook and it hasn't been officially translated into English yet. Um, and I know he was trying to get it published and was having some, some problems doing that, but, but there, there's another one, a much more recent full RPG set in the new sun world. Yeah. That's out there. So if you read French, yeah, in good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I don't read French that well, but uh, yeah, hope. I mean, I would, I'd be happy just to get a copy of it and look at the pictures and stuff. Um, but um, no, that's super cool. And then the other thing, actually, the other thing I wanted to ask about is I don't know how much you guys are into the Book of the New Sun um, audiobooks, but I used to have the whole all of them on audio read by uh, what's his name, Ron Avery or something. Um, Roy, A uh, Roy, I don't know if that's a typo. Roy Avers or Avery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh i just love them and so all of his pronunciations are sort of headcanon for me <laughs> mm -hmm. now um but so because the um if you go on audible the ones are narrated by jonathan davis and i don't i haven't really listened to those so i can't say but um the one i once i sort of came up with was was this one the roy ones yeah and i just love them so if uh if anyone he sort of does them in a style that is more like i think of as sort of like um early America or sort of early 20th century sort of faux aristocratic American <laughs> accent. Um, you know, very formal kind of sounding a little bit nasal. I like it a lot though. And then, um, yeah, they're each, the two that are out there are done. They're very different styles. I like both of them, but, um, yeah, that first original one was one that was hard to find before the internet because it was specifically done through a service for books for the blind and was kind of difficult to sometimes, find but now i know you can find that or at least now every now and then you can find it on youtube that there are versions of it that, that yeah appear. yeah and and they're sort of clean they've cleaned up the audio too yeah so yeah but there are also a lot of new ones now um both long sun and short sun and the wizard knight and i forget which other ones are available on audible now so they've gone back and uh added a lot from in the audiobooks now for audible yeah, I, I used to just, um, you know, listen. I, I, I have those on my iPod and I would just walk around late at night and there was like this frozen pond I used to walk by in the wintertime. And it's just like that memory of of listening to, there's just nothing better for, than listening to Gene Wolfe walking around mm. at night and seeing, <laughs> you know, trees yeah. and frozen ponds and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely highly recommend that. To Did everybody. you first read it as an audiobook or in print? No, no, I read it a couple of mm. times. As a, in print, and then I then I got my hands on the audiobooks. So I, I've probably listened to the audiobooks more than I've read the print books. But I started off with the print right. books. Mm -hmm. I am always curious about. I think I have too. The first time they they encounter the book of the new sun is through an audiobook, and for me, that's like I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best way, but people do it and they love it. So I guess that's on me. Except, except now all his pronunciations are because I've listened to it so many times. All his pronunciations are burned into my <laughs> mm -hmm. brain. So then, when I yeah. listen to your podcast, I'm like, "No, it's pronounced guy all. It's pronounced, you know." <laughs> I try to. I, I probably pronounce Not it different ways three times every in every episode. So, <laughs> um, all right, cool. So we're we're running short on time. Um, 
Did, is there anything, any topics that you guys wanted to touch on uh, that we haven't gotten to yet? Um, gosh, um, I don't know. Well, we are going to try and start to have a little mini WolfCon alongside some other larger con every year. There was enough interest when we did it at WorldCon that lots of people were like, oh, if I'd known about it, we tried to advertise it well. But um, yeah, there's enough interest. So keep paying attention if you would be interested in sitting around talking to a lot lot of other wolf geeks sometime. We'll (laughs) try and do that in, like I said, alongside some other larger con every year just so there's more than just us going on. It won't but, be in world, world uh, con yeah. this year because we're not going to China, but uh, not going to China, <laughs> but, but well, so how do people, you want, why don't you tell how, like if people want to follow your podcast or, you know, follow your upcoming events and stuff like that, what's the best way to, to sure. do that? Um, it's on just about every podcast app. Let us know if it's not on your favorite podcast app, but otherwise just search for rereading wolf, rereading wolf podcast. Um, we are hosted on rereading wolf, at Podbean, um, that's where the original files are housed. We also have a pretty active Facebook group. So and Reddit, um, yeah, that's and the Reddit one. page and and Reddit, and Twitter, and, Reddit. and Twitter, and uh, an Instagram account. So true. That's right. James has collected a number of different, possibly even almost all of them by now, covers of Wolf's books and original printings of stories and Instagram account has lots of that going out but yeah search for us on social media that's where we give updates and and we try to put out an episode every couple of weeks uh to to get it out there you know as as things do they slow slow down sometimes and speed up at others but you can try to get a couple out a month and we're almost done with claw the conciliator so almost halfway through the original four books of the new sun um, but we are absolutely taking our time <laughs> so, so spending a lot of time on each chapter, but that's the way to do yeah, it. Yeah, we did the play, and it us. took five episodes. Of, I'm ready to get out of the play. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we're not going. We're going to finish this one the way we do it. <laughs> well, no, it's just so cool, and I really, you know, I would have loved, you know, back back when I was just walking around listening to the Gene Wolfe audiobooks, if I could have also walked around listening to podcasts like this, because it's just, you, you point out so many things, you know, even having read the books a bunch of times, just so many things where I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I never realized mm, yeah. that, or, yeah. you know, it just, you know, fills in so much, uh, so much stuff. For, yeah, they're uh, so dense. Stories. It's it's still kind of amazing that we can do it, and we haven't bored ourselves yet, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, they're so amazing. Yeah. All right, cool. Do you have any other final thoughts or any other projects uh, that you know about, like Gene Wolfe? Uh, Books or role-playing games or movies or, I don't <laughs> well, know, there, or anything else? Um, Mark Aramini and I are finishing up a collection of essays by a bunch of different scholars. James has an essay in there, uh, which will be hopefully coming out in a year or so. And that'll be on its way. Mark has his third volume of his, his collection of uh, commentary on all the stories that will be coming out soon. I'm not. Is, is there a, is there a title on that um, essay collection? Uh, Into the wolf or the wolf slayer, spelled by okay. like wolf from Catistic yeah, yeah. Press. That has a small press that has done some things on Ari Lafferty and and um, yeah. So that'll be hopefully next year. And is there something else? I'm trying to remember. I don't want to leave anybody <laughs> out who's who's told us. <laughs> I do know Joan Gordon has really really pushed for people to submit some essays to science fiction studies. Um, hopefully about Wolf, but honestly about anything. So if you have any more academic ideas about pieces, she's always looking for something for science fiction studies. Yeah, she joined us at, when Wolf. we had the the little mini con at, at WorldCon, and she would yeah, she said, like, "Why don't we have more academic studies on you know, on Jean Wolf?" Her her book was her uh, her her doctorate or master's of fine art in. Uh, as well itself. So, you know, she's really, she really think, thinks why we should have more academic uh, conversations about Wolf. We have, we early, we early on asked ourselves, you know, why is it you don't have more of those? And I think Greg hit on that. Well, you know, everyone is still figuring out what's going on in the plot. It's hard to talk about the themes at a, at a higher level. Hmm. 
I guess I will mention, I don't think we've mentioned uh, Michael Andre Driussi had a book that came out in the last couple of years called something like Gene Wolfe's book, The New Science. A chapter, chapter guide. guide. Yeah, he's done a bunch of, I really, really, really enjoyed his chapter guide for the book of the long sun and short sun. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and he's, strongly he's done one that. for the early. Yeah. And he's done one for the early fiction. Um, right. His first four novels. He's on a bunch of, just, yeah. just query his name in, in Amazon and you'll, you'll hit on them. Yeah. So, uh, so we should probably start wrapping this up, but I hope everyone, if you haven't read Gene Wolfe, I hope that listening to this has, uh, made you, uh, intrigued to, you just have to read them three times. <laughs> it's all thing. But, uh, <laughs> it's easily done. <laughs> so, said the guy who said, yeah, I just had to I push Thrower forward on the first time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, wor- it's worth it, I promise. It's, it's totally yes. worth it. Um, all right, but let's uh, wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with James Wynn and Craig Brewer about their podcast, Rereading Wolf. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And that was our interview. So big thanks again to James Wynn and Craig Brewer for joining us on the show. This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy was made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoyed the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit GeeksGuideShow.com. To learn more about your host, visit DavidBarrKirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.